Success, in partnership with Riff, presents Revolutionizing Advertising with Virtual Product Placement. today's episode. We looked at how to combine different technologies, so how to combine artificial intelligence and at the same time also the knowledge we have from the gaming industry combining into a new technology which for the first time actually makes product placement scalable. Here's your host, Alison Weisbrot. Hi, I'm Allison Weisbrot, the editor of Campaign US, and I'm here today with Mar Dermeyer, the chief content officer at Riff. We are going to talk about virtual product placement enabled by advanced technologies, which are quickly becoming the future of advertising. With the ability to seamlessly integrate products into content, brands are able to reach consumers in a more subtle yet authentic and impactful way, while content creators can generate revenue and enhance the viewer experience. Mar, hello, how are you? Hello, very good and thank you for having me. Yes, thank you for being here. So... Before we get into AI and product placement, like talk about what is Riff and, and what does it do? What is your role there? Okay, so uh, Riff is actually a brand new company. Um, it started a few years ago. Um, it's a, you, can, you could say that uh, you could see Riff as being a connector between brand and content. So on the one hand, you've got the content providers, and that can be any piece of content. And on the other hand, you've got brands. And what we do is match the two together. That's as simple as it is. So you can see at the moment with the advertising market that there's a lot of buzz around it. There's a lot of need for new ways of advertising. In the past, when all the content started, you had the normal advertising around the shows, and then all of a sudden we got more and more and more innovations. And we actually jumped into one of those innovations and said, this is missing in the market. So we've um, developed our technology, created a new way how you could dynamically insert products into content. And just to add to that, product placement has been around for a long time, 100 plus years. And the virtual product placement has been there for for quite a long time as well. I always say I've started my career as a producer and we did a lot, sometimes virtual product placement. And the only reason we did it is because either we forgot the product to put the product in or we did it wrong, the wrong way around or anything like that. So it's been there for a long time, but it was always very expensive to do it. And it was also not scalable. So you only used it in sorts of emergencies. But if you see that the technology is growing and growing in every single industry, uh, we all now know about machine learning, artificial intelligence, and and, and many more. Uh, so we looked at how to combine different technologies. So how to combine that artificial intelligence and at the same time also the knowledge we have from the gaming industry combining into a new technology, which for the first time actually makes uh, product placement scalable and flexible at the same time. And um, on that note, you can imagine the content is globalizing, localizing and sort of globalizing again, much more content is traveling. When I grew up, we had the American series and we had our local series. Now you can see shows from Spain, from Korea, from everywhere. And so the product placement and the offering we do actually leans into that in optimizing on 
monetization, but at the same time, creating a flexibility for the market as well. And just to explain a little bit on that, and then I'll, for the next question. Um, So the flexibility, it means if you have a show and you broadcast it in say 50 countries, in the past, you could monetize on the product placement only once. And now you can monetize on it every time again. So we could have a Avion water in France and a VG water in the US. So mm-hmm. all of a sudden it becomes more, much more relevant for the brands as well as the content owners to work with these new technologies. Yeah. So talk about like why now, why this is taking off now, because I think that, you know, with the rise of streaming platforms like Netflix and ad, ad free subscription offerings, there's been a lot less supply, right? A lot less opportunities for marketers and advertisers to buy their way in front of consumers. So talk about why this type of technology and scaling product placement is, is so like sort of ripe for to take off right now. Yeah, well, you already mentioned it. We all know what has happened to Netflix, you know, and that they are actually now looking at advertising models. And once people are used to something, they kind of get disappointed when they're not able to use it anymore the way they were used to use it. So yes, you can get a cheaper model, but then you need to look at the advertising. And we also know from the YouTube, you know, I look at my kids watching YouTube, they know exactly how to skip the ads. It's like one, two, gone, refresh, gone. No one wants to look at the ads. So you want to have that premium experience. And then at the same time, you don't want to have any interruptions in your content. That's what most people, why most people watch the streamers and especially asphalts. But we have never heard anyone complain about having a product in a scene, you know, no one complained that there was Reese in ET or there's Heineken in James Bond. Um, so, or that there was a Manola Blanich in uh, Sex in the City. So if you can offer them the in-program, contextually, creatively right product placement at the right time, the efficacy for the brand is top-notch. And at the same time, the interruption for the audience is minimal. So it leans into exactly the problems we have at the moment. And therefore, we see there's a lot of traction on this type of technology. Mm. So give me an example of um, one of your favorite like product placements or, or one of something Riff has worked on in the past that you were thought was like a particularly good example of how this could work. So um, we've got a lot of different things that we worked on. Some we can't openly discuss, but a lot of the things, and it, and it depends where in the world as well, because every single person has a different need. So for instance, we just finished up a work for a company in the Middle East. And the reason is that Ramadan is such a big thing for them. And it's the biggest moment of monetization. Their true issue was big challenge was that the shows were already in productions and the brands didn't sign up, but also the turnaround time for the shows to come out of production and had to be on air was less than 48 hours. So with this dynamic technology, what they've done, they've used that period that the films were were being filmed, were being produced to find the brands they, when the show was ready, they send it over to us and we could completely analyze it, enhance it and place the brand within the time frame they needed. 
And that's how they optimize on the monetization. A similar example we've done in the US for a, a liquor brand that's very famous during Christmas time. And they were looking at new models to implement that. And so we, we did it across multiple uh, films, Christmas films. We've implemented the bottle into the scene and therefore things that they've missed because these films have, are, are already being delivered now. Um, and people have not really always thought about what to do with Christmas. There was still budget for Christmas. You can do that retrospectively. Right. It's, it's sort of like, you know, there's some product placements where the brand is somehow got in beforehand and they're sort of like written into the script. And then what your technology enables is to do that at scale after the fact, right? So talk about how like AI is really revolutionizing the field or the practice of, of product placement. Yeah, so our technology consists, I always say it consists of two parts that we merge together. So the first part is AI. So once we get the content, we push it through our systems and what they can do, they create a scene intelligence. So they create smart content. So we know everything that's in the scene. We can know who the talent is, how long they've been on screen, what the environment is, or if there are tables, if there's a car, if there's a parking lot, whatever, we can find anything in the content. Once we found that in the content, we can also find on the one hand brands and on the other hand, empty places. So opportunities, we call them a virtual placement opportunity. So on the one hand, you can do a replacement. Think about brands that you don't want to promote at a certain time or you can't. And we've got a lot of restrictions. Many countries have restrictions on product placement. So sometimes you can't air alcohol before nine o'clock. So you could replace it with an apple juice or you can't um, air uh, other things. So that's more the replacement or the brand is not active anymore or the brand. There's something with the brand. We just saw it with some of the big brands like the cheesies, you know, no one wants to have it anymore. Your content is not then locked. It can be with new brands. It can revive again. On the other hand, um, we used gaming engines to dynamically insert the products. So it's the two different, and if you marry them together, then you kind of revolutionize this. Yeah, I would also imagine it really helps with like you were saying earlier about globalization of content. Like if you're watching something like, for instance, you know, Squid Games, right? From Korea in the US, maybe you could replace some some billboard with an American brand or something that resonates more for that yeah. viewer. Yes. Yes. So we typically look for four different placements. On the one hand, we look for screens. So TV screens, laptops, things like that. On the other hand, we look for um, uh, posters and billboards. As you already mentioned, billboards are excellent. All of a sudden, also brands that is not that easy to place, like a credit card company or an insurance company, you won't easily put a credit card on the table and zoom in on it. That feels like unnatural. But if you're at a bus stop and there's an advertising of a credit card, it feels very natural because you see them a lot around airports or bus stops or billboards. And then we, of course, have the 3D placements, the objects, and we've got the uh, uh, overlays. So we look at things like, especially in game shows, you've got a, a lot of overlay possibilities and um, you can have things sponsored. And one of the things that I want to sound that as well with a lot of the live shows, you have a sponsor deal, but sponsor deal 
can come in late and you've got pre-recordings. So if the sponsor deal from the around program sponsorship, this program has been made available by, mostly that sponsor deal comes later then the film is already ready. Mm. So all of a sudden you can combine that and you can build complete campaigns. The other thing is you can also have a completely different model than in the past. In the past, you put it in and wherever it showed, it was promotion for you. Now you can agree and say, once we reach 3 million people, you can either rebuy it again, like you buy Abris, you you buy the billboarding, you know, or you can, um, uh, or you can cancel it, and we can offer it to another brand. Mm. So it allows for completely different models. How you play with your numbers, how you play with your with your measurements. Yeah. So obviously there are a ton of possibilities here, but let's let's talk about some of the challenges. So as a content creator, how do you sort of balance the integration of these virtual product placements while maintaining the integrity of the content and making sure? It's something that viewers still want to watch and will not be necessarily turned off by. No, absolutely. And we always say, you know, we paint in someone else's painting, sort of. And therefore, everyone needs to be happy with it. The last thing you want to do, and it's harming the content and it's harming the brand, if it's something that is contextually, creatively not right. So first of all, we put all the parameters that are being set from the content provider in our systems, sort of a rights management system that we hold behind it. You can imagine some of the talent, if a talent is connected to uh, Pepsi-Cola, they can't work with Coca-Cola. Those things we need to know because that can go seriously (laughs) wrong if you you don't do it right. But other things that we look at as, as well, is it the right thing? You won't put a bottle of beer in a scene where it's where people are having a croissant and drinking an orange juice because that is a morning scene. So all the things that we find on that scene intelligence and that smart content will actually lean into creating that creatively, contextually right uh, situation. So another thing is also sort of like about ethical considerations, right? So how do you think about uh, virtual product placement in terms of you know, manipulative advertising tactics and, and those sorts of things. Like how do you make sure it's, it's, it's sort of labeled and clear that it's an advertisement? Um, that is something that we don't manage. That's something that the distributor of the content manages because they are on their own regulations. So we always say we don't judge. That's why we've got all the approvals from the brand side and from the content side. Um, and the content providers, they don't want to have a negative on their content because people won't watch again if they're irritated by it. And the brand people don't want to do it as well because it will, it will reflect negatively on them. In certain countries, of course, you need to do it by placing a P or anything else. But what we always try to do is place it where it's as natural as possible. Again, you know, you don't place a shampoo in a kitchen, you don't place a chili sauce in a bathroom. So it needs to blend in with the story completely. And if you blend it in with the story and don't over pollute it, it just goes in natural. And that's the most important thing that it actually naturally flows into the, the story. Yeah. So how involved are like the content creators and producers in, in this process, especially because it's, automated right yeah but the content so we work on the hand on hand 
on the one hand with the content providers and all the networks we work with start with their own originals, with the things they own. Uh, that also has to do with clearances of rights. Um, years ago, we got the digital rights, but the digital rights, um, uh, you know, a lot of people didn't know what to do with the digital rights. Um, now we've got a little bit the same with the VPP rights. We're literally in that sweet spot of evangelizing what you can do with it. It's kind of when I, again, when I started my career, we had theatrical and non-theatrical rights in the contracts. And now you've got sort of like three pages of rights that you need to struggle through. So, um, and that, and that is exactly in that situation we are in at the moment. So if you ask how much is the content provider involved, they are. So we've got a platform, which is an interactive platform and we onboard the people. And so once we found the opportunity, we actually publish it on the platform. Once we've published it on the platform, it, um, it, it can be seen by everyone and they can say, this is approved, this is non-approved. So they pre-approve the opportunity. Then when a brand is involved, when a brand comes in, um, we always ask approval for the brand. So we always ask, hey, um, brand you know, or hey content provider uh do you think this brand is suitable for your network do you think this brand is suitable uh, for the piece of content we have and if they say yes we move it to the next one if they say no um, then uh, we stop the process and those approvals you need because at the end of the day everyone needs to be happy with it no one benefits if if it's not approved by both parties and yeah. so you do share it with the creative producers some people do some people don't but mostly they do and uh once they've seen it they're always quite happy with it so we have not seen anything that people say not for me mm. what is like on the on the brand side what is their appetite to do these types of product placements um is it sort of something that they're just testing or are they like really deploying real budgets there um difficult question that for sure are they testing or or the budgets but on the one hand uh we see a lot of because it's so new we see a lot of them saying okay let's let's do a test uh we've recently had it we've done a test and actually they were so enthusiastic they want to do much more so they allocate a budget to it um it's still a little bit between the agencies and the brands we see that the brands want to do it much more uh, are much more keen on working with it than the uh than the agencies are but i think it's more about the management of the um, of of the process uh because it it does need a bit of uh, it does need a bit of it, it's another layer for for agencies to work with and that's absolutely fine um but the, the yeah well the brands see a lot of opportunity but it's yes i'm going to be honest it is sort of in a let's see what we can do face yeah what do you think is um making the agencies has more hesitant is it just like learning a new tool a new process that kind of thing it's more work <laughs> yeah, I feel that. <laughs> well, it's it's it's. Uh, I think it's because they are sort of the middlemen between yeah. the brands and the content providers. And I actually speak before my turn because I'm literally on the content side, and my colleagues are on the brand side. And some of the yeah. agencies 
embrace it completely and they're super enthusiastic and they see completely the benefit of it, especially when they're late to the game. And also you see the smaller brands are are very keen because all of a sudden a whole new market that they never had access for, not everyone's got multiple millions to put in a top-notch show. But if you only need to buy for that market, it's, it's more affordable. But there's still a lot of learnings on that one. Um, so um, it's with everything, you know, also not all content providers embrace it. Some say, you know, you go first and if it's something we like, we will do, but we can see with the environment, how things are going at the moment, that the networks really embrace this. Yeah, it's new, right? Yeah, it's new. And when it's new, you know, everyone's like, are you doing it? Yeah, no, uh, are you doing it? (laughs) Early bird catches the worm, right? Yes. So I want to talk about you. How did you get into this field? Um, And what's it sort of like being, you know, a female executive in in the C-suite of a technology company? Yeah, well, uh, how did I get into, well, it's kind of two questions. So the first question, um, my background, I'm from the content industry. So I started my career as a producer, worked my way up, worked literally at every big in company. But one of the things I was always a little bit, what I was super interested in is fixing challenges. And the industry had a lot of challenges. So in my career, I've worked on shows like a big brother and a master chef. How can you make them? How can you keep them healthy? And it's no secret that budgets have been under pressure. And so I was always looking and investigating how you can use latest technologies to improve on um, production. So one of the things I was looking for back in the day was, you know, we had sometimes huge amount of materials and we had literally people watching them and processing them. And I got across Riff um, when I was working on this show and we needed to make the budget work and we couldn't make it work. And I looked at what's heavy on the budget and it was the people logging the content. The other thing was, so we said, how could we find a way that we can, once we scan the content, how can we then understand what's in the content? Most content doesn't have that metadata to it, you know, and it is the same. If you want to create a next level of monetization and you want to bring it to different streamers and they say, oh, I want the 10 best uh, moments that, for instance, uh, take a cooking show, I want the 10 best recipes of, of a lobster being cooked in any of the cooking shows, it is manual work how you find them. And so, and it doesn't, um, how do you say that in English? It doesn't um, rectify your cost you make for it, you know, to hire someone to go through all the brushes, etc. So I was always looking at how can you create a better uh, library and if, a sensible library, a smart library. And so we can search the libraries because there's so much content out there. And the, and the only thing I could find, I could find many partners, but it costed too much money. So I got across RIF because the brands would pay for it. The brands would pay for making your content smart and that extra monetization round. So um, that's, I was always interested in this. I've always been keen on finding new ways. And so then I made my move over to, to RIF um, because I think it's the next new thing. Mm-hmm in the industry that the content providers as well as the brand 
um, people need in order to make it to the next level, in order to look at that extra level. And then the second question was, oh, uh, for me as a female, yeah, um, as a female in um, on the executive le level in a technology company, I was already. Um, I don't. I don't always have that big male female. Uh, difference. Um, I think I'm lucky that always been quite respected um, and respected for my opinion. I search for the companies that that do that as well, that allow women to flourish in top positions. Um, I can see it's a struggle and I, I think it's I think it would be good if we had more women. Still, if you go to, I know NAB was last week, IBC is going to be there in the summer. And I always say the only good thing about these, or not the only good thing, but the good thing about these is there's no, though, but it's a sad thing at the same time. There's no line for the women's toilet, you know, because there's still not enough women in technology. And I would kind of encourage people to, because technology is the new step. It's the next thing, you know, with technology, we can do much more and it's an exciting thing to work in. It's exciting to always work on something new and innovative, but it's true. There's not a lot of women in here, yeah. but then there's not a lot of other industries as well. We still yeah. need to do better. Well, Mar, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Um, I'm super excited to dig more into virtual product placement and all the exciting stuff that's happening there. So thank you. You're welcome. And thank you so much for having me and listening to our story. Mm -hmm.